0: well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everyone, um, first of all, let's go ahead and pray. Um, Lord God, thank you for another day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Um, I ask that you just continue to just settle our minds, help our minds stay focused on you, on doing your will and your purpose. Lord, continue to just grow that fire and desire in us to learn more of you, to really understand our word, and get more and more clarity each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray, thank God, and amen. All right. So, um, I just remember there was something I was supposed to be going back over um, for y'all because I wanted some clarity on it too. So, I'll try to get back to that on next week. I need to write that down. But I'll try to get back to it uh, next week. I think it has something to do with Psalms. Um, but last week, we just went over um, the basically what to expect as we're going into the New Testament. Kind of got our overview of the New Testament. Um, and we finished our Bible arc. Right, and so now we're going um, into the Gospel era, is the first one of the three uh, Bible works in the New Testament, and uh, the Gospels. It's Gospel era. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this particular era we'll be going is covering um, from Matthew, the book of Matthew, to the book of John. Those first four books of the New Testament. And um, pretty much we're looking at Jesus' life, um, his ministry, and his resurrection in this era. Um, Just a reminder, right? Uh, Sin separated us from God. we were cut off from God because of sin, Jesus came down, and he became that bridge for us. He connected us back to the Father um, by giving us eternal life, right? But to do that, he gave his own life in place of ours. Okay. Sin equals death. So rather than, okay, just, you know what, I'm done with all of them. No, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to do this for them, okay? And so he gave his life for us. Big deal. Um, one of the interesting things that I liked learning in this particular chapter was about how um, Andrews makes a point expressing how Jesus kind of changed history itself, right? So everything before his birth, we say B.C., before Christ. Um, everything afterwards, we use A.D., which is anno um, Domini, and it means in the year of our Lord. Okay, so A.D., in the year of our Lord. is Latin. All right. Um, and again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they just talk about um, his story, the story of Jesus Christ. And they're kind of like giving us a portrait of his life. We don't really, they don't really go into um, his early life as a child. They do touch on it, but there's more focus toward the end of his life when his ministry starts. Okay, so just keep that in mind, (laughs) right? Um, Now, the four Gospels, uh, they don't really, like, they um, they chronicle his life, right? But each of them don't focus, it's not exact detail, like the exact same thing in each of the four books, okay? But when you put them together, put them together, um, it's known that only 50 days of his active ministry are dealt with. Like only those 50 days of his ministry are talked about uh, throughout all of them four gospels. If you notice, each of them focus on uh, different things, or there's different particular things. So it's the same thing. Right, but you have four different witnesses, okay, and their viewpoints of like what they're seeing, okay. But don't confuse that with oh, this is their interpretation. No, Um, everything you know, me being a writer myself, everything that they were writing was influenced by God. So this was not like oh, I feel, I think that blah, blah, blah. This is really God in his own way showing us how we can be ourselves and still be used for his kingdom, like by him for his kingdom. Because they have very distinct uh, personalities and styles of writing in these four gospels, but they still focus on the same things, right? They're still talking about his life and the things that he's done, right? But from how they're seeing it or what they witnessed or recalled, okay? But all of it is inspired by God. So don't get twisted. This is not somebody's personal uh, opinion or interpretation. This is all inspired by God, okay? Now, so again, we are in the gospel era. Okay, our key figure, of course, is Jesus Christ. Is located, kind of takes place in Palestine. This is kind of where his ministry begins. Um, And our summary for this era is that Jesus comes. This is a bit of a long one, so just be prepared. I'll read it again. Uh, Jesus comes in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of a Savior and offers salvation and the true kingdom of God. While some accept him, most reject him. He is crucified, buried, and resurrected. So summary again, Jesus comes in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of a Savior and offers salvation in the true kingdom of God. While some accept him, most reject him. And he is crucified, buried, and resurrected. Okay? So that is our summary for this. All right. uh, there are some interesting things um, that. It's like, yeah, I've read it, but sometimes it kind of takes a moment to kind of sit outside of something, and then you see stuff that you maybe didn't notice before. So I want to kind of touch on that uh, this week. But as always, uh, we have four segments per era. So our four uh, segments for this era are early life, early ministry, later ministry, and then death and resurrection. That's the last one. So again, early life, early ministry, later ministry, and then the last one is death and resurrection. Okay, so early life. This is his from his childhood, Jesus' childhood, to baptism. Okay, so first off... Um Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. Okay? Um he is conceived through the holy spirit, right? If you read the gospels, you just start right there at Matthew. Um Mary is visited, you know, by the angel and through the holy spirit he is given the baby Jesus. Okay? So happen like the way that we have to do it. Um, And there are people who have a problem with that, but it's like if you know who God is, why wouldn't he be able to do that? If he can speak things into existence, don't you think he can also conceive this child without need for two meeting of bodies? But that's another time. (laughs) So Mary is, you know, he's, like I said, conceived through the Holy Spirit. Um, and he's born in Bethlehem of Judea. So uh, Mary gives birth to Jesus. Um, They do take a a detour into Egypt because King Herod at that time was actually looking to kill um, baby Jesus. Like he heard about the covenant of his birth and he was not trying to have that. Um, So he was trying to look to kill him, but like I said, they managed to escape, and they end up going to Nazareth. Okay, so Jesus, Mary, and Joseph all go to Nazareth. Okay, and there Jesus learns the trade of a carpenter. Now, um, I know when uh, I was at camp, we had like these little Bible studies, so one of the things that we learned about was how those children grew up. And I think I shared this, too, during our Ephesus or Ephesians uh, Bible study, how um, at a certain age, right, the girls would learn uh, the first five books of the Bible. Well, by age 10, all Jewish children knew uh, all five books of the Bible, word for word. Okay, so they already knew that. Um, From about twelve was when the girls would get, you know, start getting ready for marriage, uh, taking it home. uh, Whereas the boys would learn their father's trade. Okay, that's important to know. Because yes, Joseph, apparently his father Joseph was a carpenter. However, his true father is God, right? And so you'll remember uh, there's a part in the Gospels where uh, Mary and Joseph, as part of their custom, would go visit the temple. And so Jesus stayed behind. And so, you know, when they finally realized, oh my God, you know, he's missing. They go back to look for him and they find him and he's Witnessing in the temple, right? He's teaching in the temple, and he talks about doing his father's business. That's why, okay? So, um, learn uh, his father's trade. Then when they get to about uh, the guys, the boys, about 15 is when... they would go on to learn more about the Bible. So now you go from knowing the words, basically like what's in the Bible, to how to interpret it, what these things mean, um, and how to really break it down. So you had that from about roughly 15 to around 30 years of age. At about age 30 was when they had to decide um, whether or not to pursue a rabbi or a teacher. And um, if the rabbi declared them, you know, qualified, so maybe they give them a test, and if they pass the test with flying colors, um, the rabbi will allow that person, that man, to follow him. But if they failed, then they would tell them, sorry, you, you know, you can't cut it. Uh, Maybe you should go on and, you know, be a godly fisherman, be a godly uh, carpenter, you know, woodsman, whatever. And so this is why, you know, Jesus kind of started his ministry around his age. Okay, so like I said, these are things that you have to kind of keep in mind. Uh, Everything Jesus did was for a reason. It wasn't random or just because he felt like it. Uh, a lot of the stuff could be either tied to, you know, through scripture, if not almost all the time. And part of it was also like the custom. So it was like, okay, I'm doing these customs, you know. But I'm also here to really help y'all understand what this word is saying because y'all have completely misinterpreted it, right? So just had to put that out there, okay? So, he learns a trade, he learns carpentry, okay, and uh, up until the time of his baptism, 30 years old, by the way, at this time when he gets baptized, now his cousin, John the Baptist, this is the one who's supposed to be preparing the way for Jesus Christ, right, preparing the people for his coming, okay, and Jesus gets baptized by his cousin. Uh, This takes place near the Jordan River, or in the Jordan River, which is near the Dead Sea. And so after he's baptized, this was the thing that, you know, like I said, I've read it in Scripture, I've read it before, but didn't click until later on, okay? After he gets baptized, the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove and descends upon him, and God is heard speaking from the heavens, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So let's just pause there. We're still in his early life, okay? But let's just pause there for a second. So everybody saw this. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we before this time, you know, especially in the Old Testament, you, the, the people saw like these miraculous things that God did. Okay, He was with them in a pillar of fire by night to light the way. He hovered over them as a cloud. Anytime they would meet uh, near the mountain or you know, near the temple or whatever, because you know Moses had to go up before the people, they would see him descend as a cloud on the temple. They would hear the thundering of his voice. There are so many miracles that these people witnessed, right? But then there was a moment of silence. Approximately... I believe, a hundred years. It might have been more than that. I need to double check. But you had several years of silence from God. So these people are not hearing from God. you have having temple worship. God ain't speaking to you. Nothing. You're just kind of going through the motions at this point. Now here comes Jesus Christ. You witness all these things happening, and yet you still rejected him. Okay? Um, It really goes to show you how we can be as people. Because you might get carried away and read these things and think, well, why couldn't they have believed it? Like, if I saw something like that, I definitely would have believed. And the question is, would you? Because at the end of the day, these were regular people like the rest of us. There are things that God is doing right now that are miraculous things that clearly. This is a God thing, and we reject it every day. Even something as simple as waking up. Well, I woke myself up. Did you? Well, I can't go, you know, I can't wake up unless I have my alarm set. Okay. So it just, you know, it just really solidified that, like, wow, we as people just can be really really stubborn <laughs> sometimes and just really in denial because this event here, it's like you heard God speaking. He says, this is my beloved son. The Holy Spirit comes down to him in the form of a dove. Like who else baptism did that happen at, you know? And yet it was still kind of like, eh, I don't know about that guy. You know, how do we know? And it's Like, okay. So... <laughs> It's crazy how that happened, right? Then right after that, we are still in the early life, okay? Right after that is when he is led by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness uh, in Judea where he's tempted by Satan. Uh, It says for 40 days. I would have to go back and reread that. I know uh, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and right after that, is when Satan uh, tries to tempt him, okay. And that's probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible in Matthew four, is when it talks about uh, Jesus being tempted by Satan, okay. And again, it's in other, it's in the other Gospels too, but that's the one that sticks out for me in my mind. Um. yeah, so Satan is trying to do everything. He tries to appeal to Jesus' vanity, his hunger, because he hadn't eaten in 40 days, 40 nights. He hadn't eaten anything. Um, You know, he tries to get him to, like, kill himself. You know, just crazy stuff. And every time, Jesus came back with Scripture. So he showed us this is how you're supposed to fight the enemy. This is what you're supposed to do when you're being attacked okay and the thing that Anders notes is that you know Satan offers Jesus everything God the Father offers him but on a different timetable and with different requirements. So again um, you know God has promised us eternal life God promised that he would take care of our need our every need um, that he's going to be a protector for us all these things that, Uh, The first shall be last, the last shall be first. We are the head and not the tail. You know, I'll prepare a table before you in the midst of your enemies. Right? He's going to elevate us. He'll raise the standard. Like, there are so many promises that God has assured us. Right? But Satan knows how we are. And sometimes we don't like to wait. Right? We get a little. Impatient with God, it's like, no, I want it right now. So Satan's like, yeah, I'll give you this. I'll give you a spouse, quote unquote, right now if you do this. But what you don't know is that person, you know, yeah, they're cute, or maybe they they have the means to take care of you, but they're abusive, or they dog you out. They're they're a cheater. They um have an STD that you will never be able to get rid of. Like, you don't know. <laughs> you end up with this person, you get in the mess, and it's like, oh, Jesus, what is going on? And the Lord is like, I told you to leave him alone. I told, you not <laughs> I told you not to go there, you know, or, hey, you know, I got a job for you. Why don't you take this job right now? And the Lord is like, nah, I think, you know, you need to wait. Just wait on me, that's not it for you. You go and apply to that job anyway, you get the job, and then all kinds of foolishness is going down. All kinds of foolishness. And it's like, oh, what is this? You know, or somebody, yeah, I can give you some money. They tell you what, you know, whose blood is on that money. So <laughs> you know, it's just certain things that they know. He knows what you want. He knows what you like, right? And it's like, oh, I can give this to you right now, but it has a price tag. There are strings attached to that gift or that so-called blessing, and you take it from them, and now you know, lost your soul behind foolishness, or you find yourself drowning in mess. And you looking at the guy to get you up out of there whereas if you had just been patient and steadfast and just waited on him instead of trying to rush things along according to your time frame we would have been better off right so just note that yeah he'll give he'll offer you the same things too but there's a there's a fine print that goes along with that thing that he's offering you. Okay, and it's going to be nothing like God offers you, because like we learned in the Ephesians Bible study, when God makes an offer to you, it is, it is his best, his absolute best offer, but he's never going to make you accept it. You have the choice whether or not you are going to accept his offer or reject it. But just know, if you tell God no, you are rejecting his best. And Satan can't touch him. Like Satan can't touch God on his uh, on the worst day. Like there's nothing Satan can give you that's gonna outtop anything that God gives you. That's offering. He's offering you right now. Like he can't. Okay. So he goes to the test, passes. Okay. And uh, he remains sinless. Okay. Jesus committed no. Sin at all, right? And because of that, uh, he is now ready to fill in his role as the Messiah. So all of that was necessary so that he could step into his role. Okay. Now, that was the early life. So again, early life was his childhood to baptism. Okay, conceived through the Holy Spirit, um, born in Bethlehem, but Raised in Nazareth, after fleeing from Herod in Herod, uh, Lauren carpentry. Baptized at the age of about 30 years old by his cousin John the Baptist, paved the way for Jesus Christ. All right, and this occurs in the Jordan River, near the Dead Sea. Um, after he's baptized, God the Father speaks. Right, this is my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on him. This all happens during this baptism. Uh, then he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. He is tempted by the devil several times. Um, he resists, passes his test, and now he is taking on, he's stepping into his role as the Messiah. Okay. He remained sinless. Now, early ministry. So now we're into the the second phase or segment of this era. So early ministry, uh, and this is where we have initial acceptance of Jesus Christ. So uh, not too long after his baptism and, you know, as we said, when he was tempted, uh, he begins his public ministry. Um, And his message has a two-fold focus, so there's two parts to this. So the first is that um, he is the Messiah, as the prophecies talked about in the Old Testament. Okay? Um, And um, the second part is that He challenges the people to live a life of genuine righteousness, according to Anders, and not the external hypocrisy of the religious leaders of that time. Okay. Let's go over that again. So there's two parts to his message. The first is that he is the Messiah. Okay. In the New Testament, that word is translated as the Christ which we learned uh, in that Bible study was the Christ, or Christ means anointed one, In the Greek translates to anointed one, okay? And that people should believe on him. That's the first part. Second part is telling people to live a real (laughs) life of righteousness, to be real, okay? Not this fake stuff that the Pharisees and Sadducees and their other religious leaders, too, but that the religious leaders of that time were doing, okay? Um, legalism. When you get so caught up in the appearance of godliness, right, and Jesus, think mentioned this, is definitely in the scripture about the appearance of godliness, but lack thereof. Um, he calls them hypocrites quite a few times. But um, they appeared godly. They knew how to play church. But they didn't know how to be the church. Okay? The church is more than just a building. It's not a building. It's the people. The people are what make the church. So your life, everything that you do, You know, not just in the public eye, because that's where that hypocrisy came from. You know, when you're in front of these people, you act like you're holier than thou, but behind closed doors, I know what you're doing. (laughs) You know? Uh, know, I know what you're doing or how you twist the word to fit your own personal agenda, your dogma, right? Your own, you know, beliefs, instead of just doing the word and living the word like you're supposed to. Right So that was the two parts of his message. okay that he is the Messiah people should believe on him. Uh, second part being real. okay living a, a life of true genuine righteousness and not being a hypocrite. right? You only look godly on the outside. But like I said when nobody's looking or you know deep down, you don't have any godliness within you, okay? Now, um, he performs uh, many miracles, okay? And so, in the beginning, uh, people were actually accepting of Jesus Christ um, with exception to the leaders, right, the religious leaders, but many people were accepting of him. And so, uh, a lot of this, takes place around Jerusalem. It kind of catches fire. That was the the early ministry. Now we're going into later ministry. So this is where we have growing, uh, growing rejection. Okay. So, you know, initially it was kind of like, wow, you know, yeah, like, You know, I believe, right, and people are catching fire. But now it's starting to kind of dip off because the religious leaders, you know, they're getting called out on their junk. And they become jealous of Jesus Christ. So now they start stirring up a lot of, um, as Andrew says, they stir up a lot of animosity toward them, uh, you know, lying on them. And all this crazy stuff, trying to figure out ways how to take him down. And as a result, uh, there starts to become rejection. Like people start rejecting him. Okay. So, what he does in his later part of the ministry, after he's planted the seeds, right? He's done everything that he's supposed to do there. Now he starts focusing on his disciples, okay? Um, he also spends more attention on those opposing him, the, the religious leaders. He starts warning them uh, about their attitude. Like, hey, you know, you're being corrected. I'm giving you direct command. Like, everything, that the, I don't do anything that the Father would not want me to do, okay? He's doing the Father's will. I'm giving you the word, and you're rejecting it. So if you reject me, you reject the Father. You know, like I said, you reject the one who sent me. You are rejecting the Father. He's correcting you, but you're rejecting the correction instead of lining up and saying, okay, Lord, it was me. I'm sorry, I repent. Nope. Like, this is not going to bode well for you, okay? Um, So he's giving them warning. Now, at the same time, uh, like I said, he starts spending more time with his disciples because he has to prepare them to take over. Because this is coming toward the end where he's going—you know—going to be crucified. So he has to prepare them uh, to take over for him, right? And that's an important thing to remember too. Discipleship—it um, sounds scary, I'll be honest, but. <laughs> When you are making disciples, it's not necessary about, okay, I'm going to just grab up some random people. Uh, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to give them this word, and then, you know, plant these seeds, and then go on about my business after they get saved and move on. Discipleship is not really a word, but life-ship is how I would (laughs) express it. God will put people in your life, when you start growing to a certain level, people will start wanting to follow you and pursue you and learn from you. Like, man, there's something about the way she walks in Christ that I admire. How does she does it? I want to get like her. I want to be on her level. Man, the way that uh, he follows Christ is amazing. And I feel like this person can really teach me how to be a man of God. I want to follow him. I want to know how he does it. Right. And so you start to do life with this person until such time that God is like, okay, it's time to to release them so that they can go and they can make disciples, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that's how it grows. That's how we, we bring more into the kingdom. Okay. It's amazing when, yeah, you know, and we're kind of in a society now I feel like the more stuff that you can do, you know, the more admiration you get, right if you're somebody who speaks a multitude of languages um, or you can you do languages and you can you're like a computer genius and a musical genius, and you uh, you're a doctor, you know like all these different things, right. And so you can do all these amazing things. So we even have that within our churches today. There are people who, um, you know, she was an amazing um, praise dancer. Um, She held it down with, with the newsletter or distribution or whatever, or she was a great missionary, and she did X, Y, and Z things, and she went overseas and blah, blah, blah. She did all this work for so many years, and then she passes away, and all that work goes away. And then what? You know, so the thing that we forget is that you are supposed to be training these people to take over because you are not going to be here forever. We don't know how long we got. So, you know, for me, you know, I know that God gave me the gift of writing, okay, but that's the main thing is, okay, yeah, I gave you this gift, but who is going to take over Because you're going to come home eventually. Whether it's tomorrow or some years from now or whenever, you're coming home eventually. So who's going to take over for you? Who's going to do the writing? Who's going to do the poetry? Who's going to do the Bible study lessons? Who's going to do the the whatever? You know, Um, it shouldn't all fall on that one person, right? And at the same time, that one person shouldn't be doing all the work. Like, there should be somebody who you are preparing to take over. Um, Even for somebody, you know, who, I don't know, maybe you you have a food ministry and you deliver the the food or whatever. Who are you training up to take over in your place to hold it down for you and it's like you never left? Because most times, you know, these people, they pass away or something happens, maybe they move, I don't know. And you can tell when their presence is gone, because there's like an absence and everything becomes stagnant. Why? Because there was nobody in position to take over, right? But we don't have that issue as far as the Bible goes, right? Because he trained his disciples. Um, From what we learned, uh, what I learned at camp, you know, Jesus taught the same messages 500 times. Each. His disciples heard these messages five hundred times each. So there was no way that they could not go and teach this to somebody else. There was no way you couldn't make disciples. Because you heard it five over five hundred times. Each. (laughs) You know? So you knew it like the back of your hand. You had to. Because we can't be doing good enough or, eh, well, I kind of, sort of, you know, remember what he said, I think. Well, that, you know, I mean, that, that. I mean that's good enough, right? That will do not when souls are at stake, not when you know that you better be teaching his word exactly the way he said it. Good enough is not going to cut it, okay? So he's spending this time with them, like I said, to prepare them to take over. Right, so that they can train somebody else to take over. Well, we have the word that we have, okay? Like he never left. We have this word with us, but we have to be ready for that. You have to be ready for that. And like I mentioned before, if you don't have anybody following you, you need to check yourself because if you're really following Christ the way that you should be following him, you're going to have a following sooner or later. I don't care if it's one person or if it's 10. Somebody should be approaching you at some point in your walk. And, yeah, it makes you a little nervous. We should always be humble and recognize, like, okay, yeah, I got some, uh, I'm jacked up and they talking. They want to follow me. <laughs> so, yeah, you should be humble in, in that respect, in that regard. But, again, if nobody's following you, You really need to question your walk. What are you doing? What are you not doing? Are you hiding? You know, you that candle that you're hiding under the bed. Yeah, I got this light to myself. He said, let your light shine, but I'm going to shine in my house, you know, because I ain't, you know, I mean, I, I I don't know about walking up to people and just talking about Jesus and stuff. Again, the Holy Spirit will lead you to that opportunity. You don't have to go out and pick them. He'd bring them right to you. But you got to be ready at all times. You don't want to show up and you ain't got no crowns to throw at his feet because, you know, you, you didn't do anything. You were that servant that hid his talent in un, in the sand. Don't be that person. All right? He will send them to you, but like I said, you know, if you ain't got nobody following you, all right, let me check the line real quick. If you follow him long enough, he's going to send people. He's going to send people that usually are dealing with things that he has brought you through. They almost like a mini you to start with, and then you should train that person up in Christ to go and get others, and others, and others, and others. This is a multiplication thing. This is not addition. Then this not our God. He multiplied. Okay. All right. So again, during this time, you know the religious leaders they're stirring up a lot of strife, um, uh, a lot of contention uh, towards Jesus Christ. They not feeling the stuff that He's saying, right? They're rejecting His correction. Okay. So He's giving them warning at the same time He's building up His disciples. He's pouring into them. He's spending that time with them and he's preparing them to take over, okay? Now, uh, let's see. He also begins uh, to challenge those who follow him, right? He's warning them about the cost of following him. Um, and all of this during this time is in Capernaum, like his home base is Capernaum which is on the north bank of the Sea of Galilee. So, that cost. Jesus tells us about the cost of what it is to follow him, right? This is not a cakewalk. So, if you are expecting all your problems to just melt away and have, you know, peace forever, and you never have another single issue in your life, uh, I got news for you. Again, he reminds us if they did it to the green tree, what makes you think they won't do it to the brown? Right? This man committed no sin. He did nothing wrong. He healed people. He fed them. He did everything the Father told him to do. He taught the word. And they still persecuted him. They killed him. They put him on the cross. So you. You know, we as a people who, we've definitely committed some sin. We are not innocent. We're not squeaky clean. Nobody on earth can say that, okay? Um, if they did it to him and he was persecuted, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he had people lying on him, he had people talking about him, what makes you think they won't do it to you? Okay? People hating him just because. What makes you think they won't do it to you? Okay, so there, it comes with a cost, all right? But he also tells us those who are willing to lose their life will find it. Those who try to fight, you know, to keep, keep their life will end up losing it. What does that mean? If I am willing to lose my life here, I can gain eternal life in heaven. But if I'm fighting to maintain these things on earth, I'm going to find myself burning in that eternal fire. forever. You have to make a decision. It's going to cost you something. You're going to serve the Lord or you're going to follow Satan, but it's going to cost you something in the long run. Right? Now, the last part, okay? Uh, The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the final rejection. Okay? So, by this time, now the Jews have become uh, steadily more and more, um, say, opposing, right? They have more and more, he has more and more opposition. Jesus Christ has more and more opposition towards him. Um, Some, you know, followed him enthusiastically, but then some resented him deeply, okay? Toward the end, this is around the festival time of the Passover. Uh, The religious leaders are able to get enough people to agree that he should be crucified, right? And they then uh, set up all these trials and have false charges brought up against Jesus Christ. Okay, in that time. Um, they had what was called, I think it was called the San, Sanhedrin. I may be saying that word wrong, but um, it was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees um, and other religious leaders who were part of this group. And so if you were accused of um, heresy or something of that sort, you had to go before these judges. They're kind of like a grand jury type thing. Uh, Not a grand jury, but like a grand court sort of thing. And so you had to go before them. All they needed was two people. Two. To say, yeah, they did it. And that was it. Like, you were declared guilty. Um, This in itself, you know, it really shows you that nothing has changed. Okay, I'm not going to get into the recent events, but even if we look at stuff from our past, you have people, men and women, who have been exonerated from jail uh, after spending time in prison for like 20, 30, I think one was like 40 years of that person's life gone behind bars because they were arrested for a crime that they did not commit because the person lied on them, um, because uh, in that particular case, the you know, sometimes the police were crooked, and they were set up. And so, you know, this person was arrested, and they never did it. And then, you know, a group comes forward later and exonerates this person. It's like, oh, they really didn't do it, and here's the real person that did it, and here's the evidence that proves it, right? So nothing has really changed since Jesus' time, right? Like, even the Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun, okay? They were doing fake trials, you know, uh, doing these trials like that then. And unfortunately, we still got trials like that now, okay? So they lied on them. (laughs) They lied on them. They got all these false witnesses, which also the Scripture says you're not even supposed to do. But they did it. Um, And so, with that, uh, they drum up, get up, sell all these people to agree to to crucify him. Um, After he's charged, right, he's crucified on what they say is a Friday. He's buried that night and rises from the dead on Sunday after he's been in the tomb for three days. So he was crucified, and then on the third day, he rose. And I know that there are some biblical scholars who argue the exact date. Well, no, he actually rose on a Saturday, or no, he rose on this day. He rose. We may not know the exact day for sure, for sure, but we do know that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Okay, so that's that's all we got. So quick review, all right? So again, this is the Gospels era, right? Key figures: Jesus Christ, takes place in Palestine. Okay, in our summary, Jesus comes in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of a Savior. <clears throat> And offers salvation and the true kingdom of God. While some accept him, most reject him, and he is crucified, buried, and resurrected. Okay? We had our four segments or our four phases in this era, which were early life, which was uh, his childhood to baptism, early ministry, where he is initially accepted. Later ministry, people start to reject him, and then the death and resurrection, which is where he's finally just rejected. They just decide to do away with him altogether. Okay? So now, uh, we officially have gone through 10 Bible arcs, and they are, again, creation, patriarch, uh, exodus conquest, judges, kingdom, what was that, exile, return, silence, and then, of course, we are in the gospel era, All right? That does have, like, a little test where, you know, you can quiz on the people, like, the key figures and the story summaries, but I'm going to go ahead and just and just stop for now. Um, When we do finish this, though, I will do, like, an extensive review. So that might take time, but uh, I still want to make sure that you know at least the key things because we need to make sure we have a solid foundation on our biblical knowledge, okay? At least for me, (laughs) anyway. All right. So uh, the next era we'll be looking at is the church era. Like I said, that is it for this week. Um, Hope you guys have an awesome, awesome weekend. I'm going to go ahead and uh, pray this out. Lord God, I thank you once again for another day. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, Thank you for the lesson this week. Thank you for um, your word, how it never gets old, how you can still learn new things no matter how many times you've read it. Um, Thank you for constantly speaking to us, God, and just always willing to teach those who have an ear to listen. Um, God, I pray that you just continue to cover each and every single one of us. Oh, God, our minds and our hearts, God, it is so easy. It is so easy to fall into anger and hate and spite um, as we are surrounded by so much wickedness and so much evil in this world. Um, so much chaos going on, but God, you are still in control. Um, help us to just stay the course, stay focused on you. Uh, we pray for healing. God, continue to touch those who are sick, those who are recovering, Lord, um, and just continue to help us get through this season in one piece. Continue, to, you know, we continue to give you praise, God. We can th- continue to thank you in spite of. Whatever situation it is, God, you're still awesome. You're still blessing. You're still working on our behalf, and we will get our reward if we endure to the end. In Jesus' name I pray, thank God, and amen. All right, so again, um, hope you all have an awesome weekend. Hope you all take care. Hope you got something from this. And as always, you know, I'm available to you if you have any questions. Please do not sit there looking like who did it and why. Open your mouth. Send me a text, whatever, a message, and ask that question. There's no dumb question. Okay? Just those that are not asked. So don't be sitting in ignorance. So All right? So y'all take care. love y'all, and have a great day. Bye-bye.